Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service and the occasional interview or ministry resource. We hope you'll subscribe. Now, here's today's message. Good morning, Lincoln Square. Today's reading is Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there is something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. It is the month of May and new month, so new location. We're trying something different to spice things up. Uh, we're going through the book of Galatians still. We're doing it in this pandemic environment. We've said all along that there's no better time than right now to evaluate our lives, that it would be a tragedy to get out of this tragedy unchanged, that Easter we celebrate the resurrection. So now, post-Easter, what does it look like to have this resurrection in our lives? We need to think about those, those, the implications of it. Now last week, Paul gave us the fruit of the Spirit. It was a great list, but it stays a list if we leave it there. Paul doesn't want that to happen. So he immediately gives us a bunch of examples about what it might look like to lead a spirit-led, a spirit-filled life. So he says in verse 1, he says, you who live by the Spirit. What he's saying is if you call yourself a Christian, if you say this is in you, then this is how to act. This is how to live. So what we need to do this morning is compare and contrast what we find here with what we find in our lives. I think this is detailing one of the main problems in society that Paul has put his finger on the main reason why we can't and we don't get along. And he doesn't just give us a bunch of examples. He's giving us the key to what it means to live a spirit-filled life. So whether you're a committed Christian here this morning or if you definitely know that you're not or maybe you're somewhere in between, let's look at these words and see what this might look like. Paul has shown us here what it looks like to speak the truth in love, to do so because we have the truth of Jesus in our lives, and then seeing ourselves truly. So these three things are, let's look at speaking the truth in love, doing so because we have the truth of Jesus in us, and then seeing ourselves truly. So first, speaking the truth in love. Many people are good at speaking truth nowadays. In fact, because of social media, we don't just speak it, we can scream it at each other all the times. So we, we live in a call-out culture right now that we are able to very quickly, without much effort, to name and claim the wrongs of others very publicly. We're very good at truth. Now, others of us like to say that we like to do love. And if love is, the, de- the definition at some level is being committed to somebody else's betterment, I think a lot of folks feel like they think to do that it means not to speak the truth 
because I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want the person to be mad. I don't want, I don't want them to be hurt. And so we bury things. Now, all of us have predispositions to one side or the other, either truth or love. However, truth without love can't really be truth. And love without truth isn't really love. And I think Paul shows us that because you can't, in verse 2, carry out verse 2 well. What does he say in verse 2? He says, carry each other's burdens. Now, that's not a suggestion. It's not on your own time, whenever you feel like it. It's actually a command. He's saying, if you believe in Jesus, if the resurrection has affected you, and you're living in line with the Spirit, then you're going to care each other's burdens. The word burden here in Greek is the word baros, which is, uh, the Im- there's an the imagery here, is carrying a heavy object over a long distance. So this means then, what he's saying is not, this is not a quick fix. Paul's talking about long struggles. And, of course, this implies as well that we have these struggles in our lives. Heavy ones, big ones, things that we can't deal on our own nor should we let other people deal on their own. The concept, of course, and the idea, the, the American idea that, hey, you do your life over here and I'll do my life over there, that's a foreign concept in the Bible. That when life is hard, which, by the way, is what we're experiencing right now, you are not meant to carry your burdens alone, nor are you supposed to allow other individuals to carry their burdens alone. So, for instance, the burden of sorrow. The burden of sadness, worry, doubt, illness, disability, depression, poverty, loneliness. I mean, the lists are endless. Each one of those things we cannot handle on our own, nor are we supposed to. Now, here's the problem, though. The problem is our everyday lives get in the way of carrying each other's burdens. Paul shows us that in verse 1. He says, essentially, what do you do when somebody is caught in a sin? Or if you are. And the word caught here is the Greek word meaning detected or overtaken. It's in the passive tense, which means it's something that happens to you. And that means, of course, that somebody is probably in a pattern. They're habitually doing something. They're not going to change on their own. And they get seen, or you get seen. And the question, of course, is, well, how should you act in that kind of situation? Because you can't bear each other's burdens up. When this brokenness is around. So what do you do? Well, there's a lot of possible responses. Um, but Paul says that what we need to do is restore. And not just restore in any way. He says restore gently. The Greek word for restore, by the way, here is a, is a really rich word in antiquity. It's used in a lot of different places. It's used to uh, fix uh, fishnets, restore fishnet, which means it's a long, laborious process. It was used medically to help something that was dislocated like a bone that came out of socket. When I was a kid, I I broke my pinky. It was dislocated. I don't know if you can tell the difference. Probably not. But this one's more crooked, my pinky. And I I had to pull it out and put it back in. Same thing happened in high school. My shoulder, it popped out. Something popped out. And I'm not medically as good as others. But you you can get the instance that I needed to push it back in. And it was really painful until I went back in. And then there was release. And so with the imagery that you're seeing here about restoration is it might take a long time, like fixing nets, and it might be painful, like a, a dislocated bone, but when it gets set again, then there's healing. And we're told to do this with gentleness. The word gentle is the same Greek word a couple verses above in the fruit of the Spirit, which means with humility. 
And Paul doubles down on that, uh, that, that imagery because he says in the very next line, watch yourself or, so that you too may not be tempted. Watch yourself or, or you also may be tempted, he says. Tempted to do what? Well, tempted to not restore gently. Because normally, when we catch somebody in the act of doing something, what do we do? The human heart tries to create distance between that action, that person, and ourselves. We say, I would never do that. Or, how dare they? How could they? And when we do that, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create that separation. But then if, if you do, you'll never restore them gently. Because to restore with gentleness, with humility, means at some level, you put yourself in their shoes. You might not have done the, that exact same wrong, but you know that you have done wrong. And since you know that you are not outside the same space of humanity this other individual is, you can bring them back in with gentleness. You can enter into that process of restoration. When I was a college minister, I had a lot of students come up to me and, and, and ask, should they call out their friend? Should they speak to their roommate or an individual and tell them you know, what's going on? And I used to tell them, I used to say, well, do you have a relationship where you could go into this conversation with this person? And even if they disagree with you, could they walk away knowing that because you entered in that relationship that they, that, that they knew that, that you loved them? And more often than not, they'd say, well, no, it's, you know, my, I don't know that person that well, or I don't have that depth of relationship. And I say, well, then you can't do this gently. You don't have the capital. You have, your, your, your relationship's too thin. That means you can't do it. So Paul, what he's saying here is, that, listen, to do this well, you are supposed to call people out, but you'll neither enjoy it or avoid it. You're not going to say it too soft or too, too hard. And this is, this is an incredibly difficult process to get just the right tone. It also means if you're sticking your neck out at some level, you're inviting other individuals to critique your assessment. Maybe you're off. Maybe you're wrong. And so it's incredibly messy, but that's what it means. To bear up each other's burdens, we get into the weeds to do truth and love. And it's extremely difficult, and, I, and dare I say it, I think a lot of Americans are bad at this. No wonder we have so many fractured relationships. That, that we have these relationships, they stay broken because there's been no mending, there's been no healing. And we live in this space, and there's no truth and love. So... At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and other members of our church community. If you have questions about today's message, send an email to lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our Sunday worship service. Now, here's the remainder of today's teaching. Second point, Paul thinks, I think, that we can only do this well if we have the truth of Jesus in us. Now, what's, what's that about? Let me uh, start with, with a comparison. How do most people in culture handle somebody when, when, a, when their sin has been found out, when, when we've seen their brokenness? And there's usually two main responses when we feel like somebody's done something wrong. The first we've already alluded to, where, where we get incredibly legalistic and self-righteous. We say, you know, how dare they? And yet today we have no higher authority to adjudicate, to come down on and fix that. And so what we have to do is, since there's only other humans, we have to appeal to the masses. We broadcast out into the world in the hopes of getting the vote of public opinion on our side to do what? 
to eradicate the other individual. Not to restore them gently, but to shame them. So this is a move to power, to erase, to revoke. The world says restore. Why would you want to do that? You want to uh, condemn. You want to get rid of. At the very least, you want to cancel or ignore or be indifferent. By the way, the Christian version of doing this is they say, oh, you know what, let's, let's not get to know each other. Let's not go down deeper because you don't really get to know me and I, I don't really get you. And so what, let's, let's, let's not even try. That's the first way. The second way culture ha- handles things like this is they say, you know what? They say, well, nobody has really the right to tell somebody else what's going on in their life. Who am I to, to speak into your life in this way? So we're very hands-off, which is always a, a bit ironic, isn't it, that we just showed you that people are equally able to speak into each other's lives. We're just living in a very interesting time when we're able to equally say, how dare you? You know, you are such a threat to me and to the world, I'm going to napalm you out into, into a Bolivian. And at the same time, we're like, you know what, you do you. Who am I? I don't, I don't want to speak into your life. It's like, it's like kind of cultural whiplash as we're doing this in diff- erratically and in different instances. A little bit of a side note here. A lot of Christians, well-meaning Christians, feel like they can't speak about their faith because of this. Not, not because of fear, but because they feel, they say, well, who am I? Who am I to, to tell somebody else where I stand? I'm not sure I, I, can, I can even do that. And in addition, they feel uncomfortable because they feel like they're not experts in their own faith. That they, don't, they don't know it deep enough or, or wide enough. Which, by the way, a healthy correction to that would be to look at the first people Jesus called to him. He didn't call ten scholars. He called fishermen. People who you knew when they went out to tell other people about who Jesus was, they didn't have every facet of Christian theology figured out. They had no idea all those things. And yet they went out and they told people. They spoke to them. Obviously then, they, don't, they didn't need to know everything and we don't need to know everything as well. And it shouldn't stop us because it didn't stop them. That we need to get over our expert culture barrier. We need to get over the cultural lie that says, you know, who am I to, ever, to, to not tell anybody else? And we, we, we tell people all the time. So both cultural r- responses of harshness or fearfulness, either I'm going to end you or I'm going to be indifferent to you, will keep us from restoring people gently. And without that restoration, we can't bear up each other's burdens. And if we can't do that, there is going to be continued brokenness. The world's going to fall apart. Our communities are going to fall apart. Our relationships are going to fall apart. And so look how Paul does it. He he tells us how. He says first, verse 3, if anyone thinks there's something, you're nothing. Which sounds harsh. It's actually in the Greek, it's even harsher. And the very next line he says, but, read verse 4, he says, but you should take pride in yourself, in themselves, he says. Take pride in themselves. And you say, wait, wait a second, why is Paul saying you're nothing and at the same time saying be, be proud? You know, is, is Paul confused? Is, is, is he contradicting himself? Some, some commentaries say that. But you, you have to read this in context of what he had just said before. In chapter 5, verse 26, the last line, the last chapter that we looked at last week, Paul says a, hum, Paul says a human heart left to themselves. They will look for their identity either by provoking or envying, right? By going up or down. 
See, when we, when we envy, we have too low a view of ourselves, and so we say, oh, who am I to call out somebody else? But we have too high a view of ourselves. We do it with harshness, and we're hurtful, and we're spiteful. And so I find it very fascinating that our culture, the two ways our culture deals with a person when there's a transgression that's happened, they dovetail perfectly into either too low a view or too high a view. Either I'm nothing, verse 3, or I'm something with pride in verse 4. But Paul says a Christian actually has both in them at this very same time. That if you only feel like you're nothing, and you have too low a view of your opinion of yourself, or you have you know, too high a view of yourself, you're going to either be too meek and gentle or too harsh or hurtful and judgmental. But what happens is if you're saying, I'm better than you, and so I'm going to prove it, or you're better than me, and so I'm going to resent you for it, you're not going to bear up each other's burdens. You'll be too haughty or too broken. But Paul says, no, it's possible to love people well because you have the truth of Jesus in you. Now, what's that truth? The truth is that you don't actually ultimately have anything of substance by yourself to offer to him. You have no untarnished value. You have, you have no goodness that's purely good. And that means in one way, all we have to offer, we're nothing. And yet, at the very same time, and yet, and yet, and yet, to him we're so loved, we're so beautiful, he wanted to come and bring us back into relationship with him. And so, he had to die for us, but he wanted to die for us. And those two things together slam the lowness and highness that we tend to default into together. That he had to, but he wanted to. In Jesus, the lowliness of your estate and yet the loftiness of your value are kept in balance, which will then keep, will allow you to keep truth and love in balance. The only person in the world that's ever kept truth and love in balance perfectly is Jesus. And so when you're in him, A believer can say, I believe in you. I know that you had to die for me. I know that you were so loving of me that you were willing to do that. If a believer can take that and therefore then turn around to someone else and do the very same thing to them, to keep truth and love together. See, do you confront all the time? Do you you never confront? Do you do it with, you know, too gentle are not gentle enough. Let the truth of Jesus reside in you. And if it does, it'll make you able to seek the restoration of other individuals gently. So last point. All right, if this is in you, how come we don't see ourselves truly like this? How come? What would it look like? Because I think in our day-to-day, we still default into an anxiousness that we can't seem to get out of. The uncertainty around us, which there's a lot around us, we, we, we get lost into the, that vortex. Why is it that we're so en- uh, enraged walking down the street at other individuals who are not wearing masks? I've seen fights break out in grocery stores. I've seen people on the streets yelling and screaming at each other, trying to get them to change, which, by the way, last time I checked, you don't really change if you're being screamed at <laughs> So right now, we can't restore gently in our current estate. I, and I think part of the problem 
is I think that we have these complexes. Some of us have inferiority complexes right now. Maybe you grew up with a sibling who was always better than you at something. Maybe, maybe you grew up with a, with a skill set that where you lived was made you special or different, but then you came to New York to make it. And here there's so much talent. There's so many other people. You realize you're just one more person. And all those instances in us create this inferiority complex. Some of us have a superiority complex. Some of us can, you can have both because part of your life is inferior and part of your life is superior. But a lot of us look around, we compare ourselves, and we say, we compare pretty favorably. That I do follow the rules better than you. That I do care about this social cause better than you. That I, I do work harder. That I am better. And when you start saying that, you say, this part of your heart says, well, why can't you? I did it. Why can't you? How dare you? In, in other words, your current estate, in your current state of pride or fear, superiority or inferiority, feeling like nothing or feeling like something, it's all because we use our evaluation tools against each other, which means that you're never going to bury up each other's burdens. You're too busy comparing yourself. What we should do is only compare ourselves to God. Let Him be our standard. See, go to the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Do not covet. Ugh, okay, still doing it. Um, have no other gods before me. Ugh, okay, I guess there are a lot of things that we have put, I have put before you. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. All the blessed, blessed are the people who, and then you read these and you're kind of looking, and you go, wait, I don't, none of us do that. The Gospel says there is a standard that you don't live up to it, that you've gone after the wrong things, and yet, and yet, and yet, in Christ, you are still completely and utterly loved, utterly cherished, utterly accepted. It's not either or, it's both and. You're that bad, and yet you're that loved. Look what happens if you have this. If you have this low and this high, equally in you, slammed together in the person of Jesus, there's so many applications. I'll give you just one you can finally be honest about your flaws. The world says, hide your flaws. If you don't, you're going to get judged. If you don't, they're going to find out. But what if you had 100% assurity that the God of the universe not only loves you, but there is nothing that you can do to lose that love? If you knew that, you could go right ahead right now and you could just scream from the mountaintops about your issues to yourself, to Him, to others. See, I think the reason why we're not honest with our flaws is that we aren't actually fully sure of His love. But if we were, if we knew of His love, then the lower we go down, and yet the higher we're raised up, if we knew that, then we could tell other people. We could actually finally be honest. I think you see this in the musical Dear Evan Hansen, which nobody's able to go to musicals right now, so... I'm listening to the soundtrack, and Dear Evan Hansen is about a story about a a boy who tells a terrible lie, and it impacts everybody around them. And it creates this brokenness, and it's horrifying. It affects his family and friends, and he almost can't believe it himself. And how is he going to get out of it? How is he going to stop this? At one point, he sings this. He says, No, no, I'd rather pretend that I'm something better than the broken parts. Pretend I'm something other than this mess that I am. Because what if everybody saw? 
What if everybody knew, all I ever do is run, how do I step into the sun? Which, that's us. All we ever do is we run. How are we ever going to step into the sun? And yet the most powerful moment in the entire uh, show is when he's at his lowest moment, his mother comes to him, whom he's hurt. Right? He's hurt her and all the other individuals. And she looks at him and says, essentially, I know you at your core. I've seen everything that you've done wrong. Everything that you are going to continue to do wrong. That I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll stay with you. And then he hugs her. Then she hugs her. Sorry, then she hugs him. And in that hug, it's transformational. That afterwards, he's completely changed. He goes out and he starts moving and being different. Now, if the transformational love, the restorational love of this person can do that for him, how much more transformational would it be if the God of the universe looks at us and sees all of our flaws, sees all of our brokenness, all the ways that we try to feel more important than we really are, to hide the messiness. If the God of the universe sees all that and says, you know what, I still see your utter core and I still love you. I love everything about you. I can't, I can't be without you. I w- I, I'm willing to die for you to bring you back into relationship for me for all of eternity. If you had that, we would be utterly transformed, changed more so than even dear Evan Hansen. And that is exactly what happens with Jesus on the cross. Stop comparing yourselves. You don't need to anymore. It'll only make you feel bad if you don't live up to other individuals or you'll end up being a jerk by looking down at them. You end up being conceited either way, Paul says. But if you have this unique self-image of Jesus, low and high, slammed together, ironically, your, your your, your, uh, inferiority and your superiority will dissipate. So what we need to ask ourselves before we leave is where are we secretly nursing these complexes, superiority or inferiority? Because I think what this pandemic has shown us is left to our own devices, left to our, uh, our own resources, we're fraying. Right? Our good manners are falling apart. We're, we're, society is, is slowly being stretched too far and we can't do it. Make your identity in Him. And then you can restore anyone. Then you can let go of any wrong. Then you can call out, but do it in a gentle way, perfectly well done. And if you did that, that would change the world. He's healed the world, and then you can go out and heal the world too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, this is a good word. It's a needed word for us as as we look out in society. And I think, you know, we've been in this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we might have been able to grin our you know, bite our teeth and grin and bear it, and now we can't. Some of us, once this hit, we were immediately on the floor, Father, and we're still there. This pandemic has hit us all such in such different spaces, and yet you and your perfect wisdom meet us in all those places, Father. If we're feeling pretty high right now, bring us down into reality. If we're feeling really low, bring us up into your love. Move into our lives in in powerful ways, Father. We need this. We need this now more than ever before. Father, this this verse gets looked over because this is a hard thing to do because it doesn't turn a blind eye. Oh, you do you, but it also doesn't just slam somebody in harshness. 
It creates a very difficult process of healing and restoration. Give us the resources and ability to do that. We pray that in, our, in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our church's podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast and we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We're located at the corner of West 64th Street and Central Park West. More details can be found on our website, lincolnsquare.redeemer.com. Thanks again for listening to the LSQ Podcast.